Hey guys, how are we going? Josh here. Welcome back to Punching Sideways. Today we're speaking with local musician and songwriter Toby Mobs. So today is just part one with Toby, and we started off by going pretty deep into Toby's formative years in music. He started off in Wagga and then moved down to Albury-Wodonga. We then moved into Toby's more recent experiences, booking, rebooking, and unfortunately cancelling part of a national tour. And we finished up talking about Toby's love of cinema, which was unexpected, but was really awesome. So you can get everything mentioned in today's episode over at punchingsideways.com. And I won't hold you up anymore here at the start. Let's do this thing. Toby Mobs, local musician originally from Wagga, from yes. what I understand. He's presented us with a small Lego. Oh, we don't get to keep this. No, we don't. <laughs> but can I, I'll describe it to everyone at home. It's... A small Lego version of Toby holding a guitar in an environment that is meant to represent the laneway of the Bended Elbow, a local venue. But what's really representative about it is the attention to detail. And I've been told many times about your attention to detail. Not only is it cool and a representation of things you're interested in, what specifically about that should people know at home? What did you use that Bended Elbow space for, but also that led to that? So I updated all my music gear maybe two or three years ago and I was um, buying all my new leads and everything and I was like uh, what's the you know because I, I want to set up for any gig possible but I don't want you know 100 meter leads and everything mm-hmm. so I was like oh, I've got to think of a space to to base this model on and I love playing at the at the laneway and I thought oh, I'll I'll use that as my as my uh, kind of blank canvas and I uh, yeah, sorted around there. So all my leads and everything and my gig setup is based on that and that's what I've done with that little vignette. So <laughs> it looks so cool. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's, it's a two scale. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, people probably wouldn't appreciate that he would have done that to scale. The, and the, I understand and we'll take a photo of this. <laughs> yeah. The problem with it is when I started it, I've got um, so much bulk Lego in all these, like, so many containers and I needed this, like, one little piece. And I was like, oh, it's not in this one and empty out the next one. And (laughs) it was like days just to find these little pieces. We won't talk too much about something people can't see, but <laughs> the the violin case, I'm not sure whether Mel saw that. He's got a case that's meant to represent oh, yeah. him busking. It has a tiny little violin case that you can open up and put at the front. <laughs> We're going to put money in it. We need some, like, two-scale uh, fake uh, money. I actually have some Lego money that I should have <laughs> <brought> in. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. uh, speaking, we will get into the backlog of, like, Toby a little bit with his music and everything, but the the attention to detail comes down to you actually putting tracking devices and stuff on your gear as well. Like I know that I've talked to you about this because you've booked a lot of tours and a lot of people's stuff gets nicked. Yeah, they're kind of only really effective if people don't know they're there though. (laughs) (laughs) That's staying So, uh, that was kind of so that was a good investment for about six months. Uh, these things happen. No one, no one knows what your car looks like or anything like yeah. that. I feel like we won't be giving out number plates. It's more like a crime of opportunity, right? 
And if someone takes a crime of opportunity, yep. then they're going to just fall on deaf ears. It's like tracking your phone. You put a, like, find my phone app. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone's got that. Yeah, definitely. It was just, <laughs> for me, and you, you really embrace the technology of everything as well. You've got QR codes for all your p- promotion stuff. How did you go into just deciding that you just needed to just get on board with all this stuff well, or innovate? The QR code one specifically, I thought, there's never been a better time to kind of use QR codes, uh, especially when I'm I'm playing gigs in venues with automatic QR code sign in, and you know there's a whole new generation of people that have that understand how to use them now, whereas previously would have just been mm, nope, you know. So I've kind of I'm kind of trying to tap into the technology that people are using most regularly at the time, kind of thing. But I try not to only utilize one avenue, kind of have different ways of people to connect and get in touch with me and and hook into new material that I've got. So the QR code usually leads people to a a download scenario? Yeah, Yeah. and it's an editable QR code. So if I've got a new track, I can change the QR code to whatever I want them to go to next. So it's not a static one. It's a dynamic. That's the name. It's a dynamic Dynamic. QR code. Yeah. So one mistake that I made when I first met Toby was that I thought he was quite a bit younger than he is. but Oh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. No, but he looks very young <laughs> yeah. to, and oh, much younger than he is. In, but he also, I'm assuming you've always been an old soul, but you seem like someone that's both has an appreciation of the past and music in general and how that's happened. And, you know, you've probably seen several different technologies around music evolve, but you don't seem to be like some people that are in our generation where you're just focused on the past and you're completely anti the new music business and streaming or any of those things you seem to have embraced that just as much as anyone else even quite young musicians yeah i think a really important aspect of being an artist is uh flexibility and reinventing yourself and it comes with the territory you know being in the creative industry it's always being uh remixed re-edited changed and and that kind of thing you kind of got to roll with that and and i think if you don't you can get stuck into stuck in the past with, with, with a lot of things. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say I've, I've kind of em, em, embraced a lot of, of that. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, it's been a huge, using the word as opportunity is a bit tricky, but it's been an opportunity for artists to explore different creative avenues. Uh, live streaming is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. We have so many new people that uh, learnt about and understood technology, how to do it really well, and a lot of artists, uh, m- importantly, that are continuing to do it, and and the quality of the uh, live streams that they're putting out is is exceptional. So a lot of time when when big change happens, it, it forces creatives to change the direction that they're going or reinvent themselves to appeal to the the audience at the time. Did you always have that attitude? Um, or did you, or has that evolved with a need? I, I th- probably both, I think. I, I think it's important that you stay true to yourself as an artist and and go down a path that, that you enjoy because if we only create things for what people are after, we're not creating things that, that we want. You know, we're, that, that would lead down a path of only creating things for a mass market. Mm-hmm. And by not doing that is how we get such a... a a crazy variation in in creative work, you know, because artists are creating things for themselves, not for other people. And that's where you find um, little niches and little pockets of 
of different things that just don't appeal to a mass audience at all. But because that artist is creating something that they really enjoy, you get different groups that are like, yeah, this is much different from what the mass market is, you know, consuming. Maybe there's a more longevity in their work because they're doing it for their own happy feels versus yeah the the general population. I think so. And I think any industry has a, a somewhat of, a, of an area where some people would call it selling out maybe if, if you're changing what what um, you really enjoy making but perhaps you need to make something more financial or, or you need to do something um, more more popular um, but I think uh, I think you can do a bit of both an example for me would be I pretty much only play originals I'm not a covers artist and I know that I could get a lot more gigs if I did play covers so I've thrown a a few in there, but um, only enough that I allow myself to do. So I'm not a covers artist, so I'm staying true to myself and, and pushing my own work. So, yeah, there's a bit of a balance in there. So let's speak about that a little bit. So for people at home who have never heard of Toby Mobs, and let's probably say, like, if you're in the music industry around Albury Wodonga, you probably would have heard of him. But how would you describe your journey into music if you like us, like I like us, get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around and maybe buy us a coffee. How would you describe your journey into music? I think a lot about that. And I think it's only in the last two years I've really felt comfortable with who I am as a musician and mm-hmm. The music I write and the way I perform actually is probably only the last 12 months. I feel like everything up to that point 12 months ago was just kind of like a preparation kind of thing because I've done a, done a lot of releases in the past of, you know, a, an EP when I was in high school recorded from an old home studio back in Wagga and an instrumental album back in 2008. And I feel like it's only now that I'm writing and recording the music that really resonates to me. It's all, it's all been a kind of lead up practice kind of thing. One thing I've found really difficult, because I can be a real perfectionist. Really? And <laughs> I find it, um, it's something I've kind of um, been thinking a lot about. When someone creates something and, and they, look, they look back on it like a year or two down the, part, down the track and, and think, oh, can they identify that as, yeah, I'm really proud of that or, or I wish I would have done that better. And uh, I've been thinking about it in a lot of different ways. So like a, a movie director, you know, when they create a movie, they don't really have the option to kind of wipe it from the slate. That mm-hmm. movie is always, it, it's always linked to them, you know, and, and I think uh, directors get a lot of slack when they're first making um making movies you know they 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 might do a film school movie that kind of thing yeah and it's representative of where they were at especially if they were younger or people that do um people in maker spaces you know 3d printing though a bit of a hero of mine is adam savage from from mythbusters and and he talks about how uh, maker spaces should proudly display the failed projects that they've done because it shows a progression in their creativity, a progression in their work. 
And for me, it's really, it's difficult to display that music, keep it up, keep it, you know, uploaded everywhere if I'm not 100% proud of it. So when I said um, it's probably the only, only the 12, last 12 months that I've, I've, I've felt like that I feel comfortable where I'm at as a musician is because 12 months ago or, or you know, 18 months ago, I kind of did away with everything in the past and, and just had a brand new slate mm-hmm. and came out with a debut single and, and working on an album that comes out next year. So I found that really relieving because it, it's kind of like a lot of other people in creative industries don't have that option. Everything else that they've created in the past is on display forever, longevity kind of thing. So it was really liberating to be able to start start fresh kind of thing. So I've gone through a lot of different phases as a musician and I feel like I'm happy now that things I'm creating will be there forever, that kind of thing. And I'm still going to feel that way like, you know, at two years down the track I'm going to feel like, okay, that that first album was a learning experience and, you know, I've I've grown as a songwriter, as a recording artist, as a musician, that kind of thing. So... Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky question for me to answer, but I do think about it quite a lot in in those terms. How much planning goes into things with you? Because you're talking about two or three years down the track. Yeah. And I'm fortunate enough to talk to you outside of work-related things, and I know that you have like a two or three-year plan ahead. I don't even have a two-month plan. So the level of planning for context for anyone else that's listening at home can we talk about the tour that mm. did slash didn't happen and you're talking about flexibility and stuff like that because there was a lot of people going, we can't do anything because we're locked down or anything like that. Can you just shed some light on what can happen if you do embrace the need and the ability to evolve with what's going on around you? Yeah. I find I work best when I set myself pre-established goals. Mm-hmm that I'm working towards at a set in stone kind of thing. Um, so to give you an example, I've, and it may sound a bit crazy, but I've got, um, I've got music plans and tools and, and albums pretty much worked out up until 2026. Yeah. For that, for me, is done so that it takes, you know, I've, I've got to start booking gigs 12 months in advance for a national tour, that kind of thing, for a big regional tour, definitely. And I want to make sure that I'm the timeline I've worked out, you know, everything's well spaced and, and it's giving me time to be a bit removed from it and then jump back in when I need to, that kind of thing, to avoid a bit of burnout. So my my plan currently is um, next year, it starts with the, my first national tour and it's a, a proper nas- full national tour, um, one show in every capital city in Australia. Um, and that brought about um, someone at work actually mentioned they were frustrated when they see bands. Uh, and these are like, you know, well, prolific bands, you know, right up there kind of thing. And they say, oh, it's a national tour, but they're not going to Perth, Darwin, Adelaide <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. You know, it's an East Coast national yeah. tour kind of thing. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool just to experience going around the whole country in that way? And because I haven't done a lot of travel Mm-hmm. Uh, myself so it will be definitely a new experience for me and it will be driving so having my own gear um, taking the car around so with the pandemic 
that was a bit tricky because I was testing things out for my first regional tour. So the Making Lemonade regional tour, which was meant to be around 90 shows um, over a six-month period. And I remember having a – I was on the phone to my mum and I said, yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all locked in. And she's like, oh, have you planned for if something happens? <laughs> and I was like, Nothing, they're, all, they're locked in. It's, it's settled. <laughs> And I was like, what could happen <laughs> next minute? Uh, we a have pandemic. a, a – yeah. And it's, it's such a – it was such a weird thing to, to think I can't imagine, you know, unless something physically happened to me, you know, one or two venues – you know, a few venues, something might fall through, you know, different management of venues. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, yeah, that's a – that's a that that's a minimal thing. I thought, what else? What else could really happen? <laughs> and it was like the biggest thing that could possibly happen uh, globally. So that put a bit of a dent in it. But I did. I managed to. I'm very fortunate. I, again, I I don't like to say the word lucky. I think uh, creatives use the word lucky too much because it diminishes the hard work that they put in. Mm-hmm. So I like to say I'm fortunate to have had half those shows around 38. 40 shows go ahead during the pandemic and that's purely because of where I'm situated regional areas we we didn't have uh, any confirmed cases that we knew of at that point venues were spread between New South Wales and Victoria so when we had some restrictions in New South Wales it just happened that I was playing some Victoria shows then and the other way around so I was able to navigate that the best I could however it was it did take quite a mental toll in the can when the cancellation started coming through I often say playing gigs is easy it's the booking and and planning that is the the hardest part yeah it's brutal yeah so I think I think the worst days where I was getting three cancellations a day for that tour and that was uh, you know, I think, oh, what's the what's the point here? And especially when you've got posters all, all printed and, and ready and and published, yeah. that kind of thing. So, meanwhile, in 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 between doing that, I've I was going to each capital city for a week at a time, every two months, just to get a feel for the for the venues there, uh, in preparation for a national tour and see what venue works for me, um, network a bit, get some connections, and also meet some local artists to bring them on as a support act down the track. So, unfortunately, I have canned that whole thing now. I think I can't, had to cancel Sydney twice, Canberra twice. I got halfway to Perth and got turned around at the South Australia WA border, and, and that, that was honestly, I think that was the killer of it. I thought, ah, oh, you know, I've driven 2,000 kilometres and just had to turn around, and Darwin had to be cancelled, and I thought this is, uh, you know, often people say to me, I'm... I'm um, they, they they look up to the way that I'm pursuing things even, you know, even mm-hmm. though we've got all this going on. But I think for anyone it just gets to a point where the um, the anxiety around wondering is this even going to go ahead, mm-hmm. it was just not worth it. So I have put a pin on all of those and the next main lot of touring will be the national tour in October next year so i think if we're still got major problems uh we travel then yeah it might be a time to reassess but i'm hoping that from there on the the big plan can keep going ahead 
there's a lot of strategy involved, obviously, which has now been cancelled, but in going and exploring those capital cities and networking so that you've got support when you're doing your national tour there. Can you explain, because there's a lot of people that have original music but maintain that they can't get gigs just Mm -hmm. playing original music. Can you explain a little bit about how you, without giving away, I don't know if there's industry secrets, <laughs> industry, but did you find it as hard as what the perception is to book yourself as an original artist or was it just the way that you sort of went about it and just made it a not negotiable thing that, that everyone just sort of come on board? I think it's a lot of it is dependent on the actual, the person and yep. the circumstances. So for me, it was a lot of stepping stones. So... I never, I never thought I'd be able to play a whole set of just original music. So I had maybe like 30 minutes and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just keep writing. And I, I was only applying for like, um, or applying, I was reaching out to venues. This was a, a number of years ago for like support sets. I thought, oh, I'll probably always just be a support artist. I don't have that, you know, full, full gig set. And um, so I just started writing some more. And, and what I did is I booked a, um, a local tour in, 2019 and they were all two-hour shows and at that point I, I hadn't written two hours of music so that was booked six months in advance that kind of thing this. so that was a uh, uh, that was kind of like um okay well I've booked the gigs now I need to write music <laughs> so that forced me to complete a lot of the work that I needed to do and you know it's harder to book a two-hour solo gig than it is a three-hour gig at a venue a three three-hour set is pretty standard uh, around a lot of venues, depending on the venues, of course. And that would be a cover set for people, generally. That's that's right, yeah. yeah. So I set myself out writing another 45 minutes worth of music so I could start booking those three-hour gigs, and and that's what pushed me to do the regional tour, the Making Lemonade tour. And, yeah, it, it it can be tricky because a lot of venues do want those covers, but it's again, it's dependent on the venue and the clientele. Um, you know, I can identify if I'm not the right fit for a bit of a rowdy pub on a Saturday night. Yep. You know, especially on like an AFL Grand Final night. I'm not the per- I'm not that I'm yep. not the artist for that venue. So I've tried to find venues that I am a, a good fit for, and I think uh, especially in the last two to three years. In areas like Aubrey and Wagga, there's there's a, a original music is is really coming to the top of everything. I'm I'm seeing a lot of original, purely original gigs, and I think that's fantastic. So I think the it's being a bit more evenly weigh, weighed now yep. uh, between originals and 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 covers. Just for people that are maybe predominantly Aubrey based or Wodonga based that are listening to this. Wagga is one of the cover band meccas, traditionally. That's right. It has always been a very heavy live music town in comparison to Albury, but a lot of it's covers based. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I was uh, I was born in Wagga. I lived in Wagga for 23 years, and it's gone through changes while I was there before I moved to, to Albury. But I feel like since I moved to Al- to Albury and, and made music more of a priority in my life, you know, I did full-time uni working quite a lot and and music just had to take a bit of a back seat especially with with uni 
So when I came to, to Aubrey, it did take me a little while longer to get back into it, but I can see the difference in the music in Wagga now um, with original music and especially with original artists. Uh, I feel like um, back then a lot of the original music was coming from bands as well. Yeah. And we've got some great venues in, in Wagga, such as um, the Curious Rabbit, who are really exceptional in the support and value that they're putting into regional creatives, not just musicians, but uh, just every aspect of, of creativity there. I think with your level of planning, does that become annoying to some yes. people? Oh, to me. To you? <laughs> as, annoying to me. As well. Like I, I can't even comprehend the level of detail that you go into planning things out. And you plan like you're doing a stop, start, slow motion video that, requires one picture a day Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing is just years in advance where do these ideas come from and how much like before you actually start something do you have it all planned out so for instance i'm just going to revert back to how many people would book a tour and not have music to play at a tour like and then just go all right Probably not the sensible ones. No, no, but like I do remember that time, that conversation with you like yeah. a couple of years ago going, oh, I've booked this tour now. And firstly, who's arrogant enough to be able to book a tour or have enough ba- <laughs> like um, backing themselves in to be able to book a tour with no actual repertoire of music to show anyone <laughs> and just go, I'm going to play originals <laughs> and then have to sit down and like make it. So that you can play it. Like, what? So the organisational part of that, I think that came from high school. I was quite stressed about a lot of things during my HSC. And a way for me to cope with that was organising myself. So I write a lot of lists like a lot of people do. Do you check the lists? You seem like a list checker. Because a lot of people that are list writers don't ever follow them up. Absolutely. (laughs) So I have a bit of a routine and I don't, I don't commit anything to, to memory anymore, which probably isn't good for me long term. <laughs> but I'm, it ensures that everything gets done all the time. So, at the end of the day, I've, I've got a, a notepad in my phone that I check. And it's just, I guess, inventory at the end of the day to make sure everything's done. So, for me, it's a way, organisation is a way for me to become more relaxed know that I'm not forgetting anything and less stress. I want to talk about time into organisation because some people would think, and I'm probably one of them, that the level of effort you go into organising things removes a chunk of time. Like the level of detail that you put into your planning takes up so much of that time that are you also losing time? I think... At the end of all of that, it means that the only thing I have left to do is just do it. Yeah. So it removes a lot of excuses and brick walls in front of me as well. So, and that's why I'm acutely aware that even though I'm very organized, I can be incredibly lazy as well. Because if, if I know that um, I've just got to do the thing, I'll sometimes if I just don't want to, I'll, I've just got to, I've actually got to create excuses not to do it because I've done so much planning that I know exactly what I need to do when, yeah, so highly organized, lazy person. 
it's funny you say that because that's exactly how I would describe myself. Yeah, people think that I'm pretty organized and I rarely run late for things and I generally have most things in my head in a list of, or in even now when I'm getting older, in yeah. devices or on paper. But it's really just to, if I can shift shift all that to the side, <laughs> yeah, that's now organized. Yes. But it also reflects back on me that there's an expectation of things being finished and it's kind of like a two-step process. I've got to put it down yep. in a list and then the it makes me do things because I've kind of codified it. Like, I I wouldn't do some of these things if I didn't. Like, our podcast has been coming out weekly because I, I, for the multiple times, have promised Mel will be out on a certain day, but I fully committed to it coming out on Saturday. Yep. Not a time because sometimes some are longer and some are shorter, but it's going to be out on Saturday. And if I hadn't made that commitment to another human... Oh, there's no way that it would come out on the same day each week. Oh, yeah, it's that accountability <laughs> that you've put in with other people. But you've got to do yeah. it to yourself because you're a yeah. one-man musical operation. So Sometimes I'll, I'll make a post on Facebook and say, um, uh, I'll be doing this in a few months, and that's my accountability to myself. <laughs> To, so I'm, I'm keep I'm asking the general public to keep me accountable, <laughs> yeah. but I I also find that um, for me uh, I I have a lot of creative pursuits other than music that I, that I'm working on, and for me a challenge comes in two parts. The first challenge is knowing whether I can do it or not, and sometimes when I f- when I plan things out and sort things out, and that's only left to do it, it's kind of like well I can do this. And now I need to get over the next hill of actually doing it because once you, th- I think sometimes once you realise that something is ach- is achievable, the rush of wondering if you can do it uh, kind of diminishes the end product sometimes. Very profound. It is kind of fascinating. I just always <laughs> question whether I can do anything. <laughs> you do, I, do that. <laughs> and then the, the accountability bit though is true because if I'm booked in for something... There's no way that I'm not turning up because someone else is reliant on me. Yeah. So that's how I become accountable is is by obviously I'm going to let someone else down. It's not about me letting myself down because probably at home behind the scenes. I've actually had my housemate say this. He goes, I've never seen anyone so organized in a work capacity. And just as soon as they walk through the door, they're just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just scattered when it. Involves other people. I'm super like in a work. I'm super efficient. I don't like wasting other people's time. Yep. But if it's my own time, I'm less worried about the whole scenario. Just on the thing about time, Mel asked earlier, do you, does that take up an inordinate amount of time? Organizing. Yeah, organizing. Do you, do you get some freedom out of all that being done that allows you creative space to create the stuff? I kind of... And if it's half done, would that impact you creating? I often plan things out while I'm consuming other entertainment. So, I'm I'm a big film buff. Yep. So, I'll often be watching films, but 90% of the time I'll be on my laptop sorting things out as well. And that might be part of me enjoying multi-sensory things at once. Yeah. So, I'm... For those listening that may not know, I'm a librarian at a university and I was an English major as well but I really do not read books. I'm probably the least well-read 
librarian or English major <laughs> graduate. <laughs> and a lot of that is due to I can't stay connected to a book. I, I My mind just, just goes. Yeah. So, and that's why I love film so much. And, and you know, p- people that love books are probably going <laughs> to hate me saying it, but I've, I, I really love that the, the way film uh, has this connection between the visual and the audio and it forces you to feel a certain way. It forces you to put you in the eyes of a certain character or, or how that director is wanting you to feel. With books, for me, it's more the... Uh, it's a heavy lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And my mind just... And sometimes I won't even know. I'll, be, I'll read a book and then I'll be reading the same sentence three times and not even know. It's like, where have I just gone to? Yeah. Whereas I'm more locked into a movie and, and I'm not sure why because I've, I've always understood and appreciate the value in reading and um, what it does for the mind. And I think film has, ha- has been seen to like a lesser degree to literature kind of thing. Literature's kind of more so seen more like highbrow when, when compared to, to film. But for me, I, I just love the, 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 the way a film forces you into an emotion. And not only that, it's, it's a very different creation. A, a book is an author, an editor, a publisher. A film is a small community. Every, every member of that team has their own specific role in that, you know, the Foley artist, the... Uh, the DP, the everyone that's in a film. There's and, and the minutia that you get in a film, the the just the small aspects that you just would not think of that goes into a film, and and every one of those people is is um, working there for a reason. I, I just love, I love that, and it's a very different aspect to literature for me. I have a question. Yeah. If you could have written any score. Which one would it have been? I used to want to write music for horror movies. I was a huge horror movie buff. I still am. For some reason, I just wanted... I don't think I'd... don't think I have that creative ability in me for the work of a movie composer. That's just next level kind of thing. But, yeah, I used to want to write that. So, I I don't think I've ever thought about it in the way of... A specific. Yeah, and, and the reason behind that is because I really enjoy absorbing art that I'm not seeking to replicate. So when I see, uh, uh, if I go to a gig and it's uh, an originals artist and uh, they're blowing me away, I'm thinking, oh, that's really good. I should incorporate that. Or how are they doing that? And, oh, God, I wish they weren't so good, <laughs> you know. Whereas and enjoyable nonetheless. But I think with when you're absorbing art that you're not seeking to be part of. Be part of. It's completely different. I grew up listening to um, Back to the Future. Alvin Silvestri's score to that is amazing. John Williams on Jurassic Park. Those kind of scores that um, just just give me goosebumps every time I hear them. So I wouldn't say I've, I've ever wanted to write a score. And the reason for that is because I... I Removes the enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. but I... I could never do justice to any any score, you know? It's interesting that you say that because I think what I'm really getting and is that 
you don't believe necessarily that you're the most talented person By no around. Me- no means. <laughs> but you work your absolute butt off. And I've seen the evolution myself. By no means where you are is not because you're just lucky. There's a lot of work that's gone into getting to that point. Absolutely. And there's a recognition of where an evolution of where your lane sits and what's going to work well for you. And I think that's a very – Ty Seaton actually said something very similar when he was on. He said, I'm not the most talented at anything really, but I work really hard. Did he say something like that? It was something like that. Um, And I think it's. He just said that he wasn't going to let people outwork him. Yeah. (laughs) I think I remember someone once saying, practice and hard work beats natural talent eventually every time. Yeah. It's very generalized, but. When I was in high school, I was, uh, I'm was i a big Hendrix fan, Jimi Hendrix fan, and uh, I wanted to be the best guitarist, you know. Who doesn't want to be a, a rock star when they're in high school, that kind of thing. But the, further, the older I got, the more I wanted to write music that resonates with me, not because I'm wanting to show off or be the best. And and that that came about at a really good time when I was I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to do that because I was also like, oh, I don't think I can do that, <laughs> you know. So I I think um, uh, for me, I wanted to I want to be different. I just wanted to do the best version of myself. Hello again, guys. Josh here. We thought that was a good spot to finish up part one with Toby. We covered off a lot of his music career, his progression, and also, as you heard in there, his change in mindset about where he's at as a musician and how he feels about his own music. In part two of our conversation with Toby, we actually discuss more about what makes him tick away from the music scene. So there's some super interesting stuff coming in part two, which will be out later this week, and there's a few things you might not expect. Just a reminder, go to punchingsideways.com. You can get part two when it comes out there. You can find all of Toby's links to his music, etc. And you can also share the show and or buy us a coffee. Or both if you really thought today was awesome. Okay, guys, thank you from myself. Thank you from Mel. And thanks to Toby. And most of all, thank you for listening. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.